Hi everybody, welcome to Wrong Term Memory. It's me, Jack. And it's me, Colin. And uh, we are here this week talking about something a little bit different from last week's movie review. But I think, Jack, it's fair to say that last week's was uh, one of the best shows in a while. I thoroughly enjoyed it and the feedback we've got has been pretty cool as well. Uh, a lot of fans of the movie Parasite. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's kind of good getting an, an expert on somebody that really knows what they're talking about. So we'll, we'll maybe look at maybe doing that in the future. We've had Davey on from Heartland speaking about American presidents in the past. We've had Martin on about writing books. Um, these guys know what they're talking about. So we might look at sort of getting more guests on in the future. Um, if you think it's a good idea, let us know. If you think it's a bad idea, let us know. We, we always listen to your feedback, especially um, especially the patents, basically, um, with that direct feedback in the comment section use that comment section if you've got the patreon app it really it makes your life easier as well to be perfectly honest with you getting that feedback we know what you like we know what you don't like so um instead of putting putting stuff out that you're not too keen on um we'd rather put out something that you suggest whatever so yeah stick your comments in there yeah this week's show um it kind of fell in our lap a little bit jack because and obviously you patrons that are listening are our favorite people will be hearing this this week because it's kind of in, in tow with the show um, we've got a new sponsor on board, um, it's David Cox Butchers, and um, we're going to do a show about butchery and meat, um, kind of to, to kick off. We Obviously, we, we ran the adverts for the first time in last week's show, but we wanted to actually do a deep dive into butchery, the origins of it, some facts about it, and some general kind of wrong-term memory still look at it. But before we do that, a quick word to Jack for uh, David Cox Butchers. Um it's a third-generation family-owned butcher dating back in Glasgow over 50 years. Um, they were awarded the best butchers in Glasgow in 2021, um, which basically means they are the best butchers in Glasgow. It couldn't be any simpler. So beef, lamb, chicken, pork, breakfast, sausages, burgers, meat packs, pies, groceries, sauces, ready-made meals, and even a less than 5% fat range. They've literally got it all. How they do like I think in 2019 they won a gold award for their steak pie, so their steak pies are fucking banging. But not only that, they're actually like good guys as well. They made the is it the Herald's uh, High Street Heroes list, and they've also raised quite a bit of money for defibrillators in Glasgow. So like they've got great meat, but they're great guys as well. And if you want to get a delivery from them, like we're well, going to be honest here, right? We've got a special code, right? And people using that code. It obviously means you're buying from the butchers, but it shows value. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you here. Like, we get fucking paid for this, and we're trying to to push um, a, a a guy we know has butchers. So it would really help us if you went order some stuff off of them, um, and you can uh, get it delivered to your home up until the thirty first of August for free. Basically, you need to spend fifteen quid, but the meat is fucking fantastic Colin you've ordered from it I've put in my first order I'm hoping to get a barbecue one night and I did use the code W-T-M-F-R-E-E-D-E-L to get that free delivery so if you're looking for meat genuinely the best meat in Glasgow as voted for in 2021 then do do us a favour and use that code and shit like that we we really appreciate that and obviously um, George over at David Cox Butchers would appreciate that as well yeah absolutely if you're looking for meat they can't be beat. <laughs> George, mate, you're listening. You, you should use that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Not that anybody's ever used beat, meat beat um, before, but yeah. Beating meat, yeah? Okay, beat carry on. Yeah, carry on. But That's a whole yeah, different the, show. The, yeah, the history of butchery, like I, I, like, I came up with the idea, I thought, right, we've been doing bits and bobs about history and stuff like that, and I kind of thought, 
Like, we've been eating meat for fucking ages, surely. And I, I took a sort of deep dive into the the history of not just butchery, but meat eating and stuff like that. And I think it's a very interesting show we've got ahead of us, Colin. I know you don't like the black and white stuff, but it's right up my street. And I think we've come up with a decent show here. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I read through this tonight earlier on. Um, I did a couple of bits and pieces of my own to it. And it's, you know what? I am a bastard, right? Because... You're right, I don't like history, I don't like black and white stuff, I don't like stuff that happened before my understanding of the world. However, I do like meat, and I do quite like the idea of butchery and being a butcher and all that, so it doesn't matter this is history, it's something I'm interested in, so I'm cool with it. So, Did you not I'm, want I'm, to I'm be a butcher at a point? I, when I got made redundant from a, a role that I've been doing for quite some time, um, four and a half years ago. This week, actually. And I was looking at what I wanted to do in my life. And I did at the time think to myself, I would fucking love to be a butcher. I think that'd be a really good job. I think I'd really enjoy it. But I just couldn't afford at that stage of my life, just to get on a mortgage and all that, to be a trainee anything. So it just wasn't possible. And it would never be possible now, to be fair. But yeah, I, I did think about it when I was looking at a total career change and doing something different. And I thought it'd be something I would enjoy, mate, yeah. Like I, I was kind of thinking about a career change a couple of years ago as well, like when the pandemic and stuff, I was kind of thinking, do I want to be doing this, what I'm doing at the moment, and the holidays are great and blah, 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 it's public sector, all that sort of stuff. Do you know what my thing was that I thought about doing? Driving ambulances. Driving a train, mate. Oh, that was close. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing about driving a train, mate, is you get all the holidays, right? And it's piss easy the, back and forth. You get all it. the extra holidays you're always in fucking strike. And it's basically just a wee lever that goes backwards and forwards. So stress-free. Uh, I, I was. Um, I kind of looked into it for... I say looked into it. I maybe like sat for a couple of hours looking at sort of what was involved and stuff like that. And I thought, no, that's far too much to fucking be doing right now in my life. It's, so. it's also a very difficult job to get into. The vast majority of train drivers start off nowadays as almost cleaners on the train. And then they get promoted and become ticket inspectors. And then they get promoted up to something else. And then they become drivers. It's real work, especially in Scotland. I think in the whole of Britain, it's very, very get yourself in and work your way up and they don't tend to recruit externally. It's well, a bit clicky. Well, that's the thing. I remember watching the programme on BBC Scotland. I think it was called Glasgow Central or something. It was about Glasgow Central. Yeah, and I was, that. There was a, I enjoyed it, but there was a hell of a lot of fucking nepotism in it. Like, oh, my, uh, my auntie works here, my granny works here, my mother works here, my bra works here. I get in through them, I get in through that and... Like, like, fair enough, that, that's the way that you get into things. But, yeah, I think only, like, only something like of the, like, 300 trainee drivers that they take on, like, only three or four pass or something. It's like a 1% pass rate or something. Yeah. Or like a not, 1% higher rate, you know. It's, it's a well-paid job for a reason, all joking aside. I've got a very good friend that's got a really good job on the railways, and she tells me a fair bit about it, and it's... It seems like a place with lots of politics and lots of all sorts going on in it. It's it sounds like an interesting place to work for sure. Yeah, we're not here to speak about train drivers or trains. No, but f- fuck about, trains. Yeah, fuck trains. Um, unless you're getting the train to the butchers. Um, <laughs> th- but why I, would you? Because I, we can give you free delivery with WTM free Dell. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, oh, <laughs> David Cox butchers. Like there, there is like obviously we've been eating meat 
uh, for ages before Butchery sort of came into it. And I think we've been eating it before cooking was even a thing. So literally running about killing and eating dead animals. It seems like a really bizarre thing to do is murder something and then eat it. Um, but uh, we, we still see it today with some of our closest relatives like apes, chimpanzees and stuff like that being uh, a little bit cannibalistic at times as well and sort of hunting and eating other chimpanzees, other apes, murdering them and then eating their meat raw. So it goes all the way it goes all the way back, Colin. And it's um it's it's reasonably interesting how that sort of followed on from our closest ancestors. Yeah, absolutely. And there is archaeological evidence that shows that early humans began eating raw meat around about two point six million years ago. That's bad. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not something you see on Time Team with Tony Robinson, really. He doesn't tend to concentrate on that sort of stuff. But the proof is out there. Um, however, that was 2.6 million years ago, Jack. Eventually, they did realise that cooking it is actually a little bit better. And there's right. a few key reasons for that. Well, like when you, when you eat cooked meat, um, it's... Well, for a start, just never mind cooked meat, just meat. It's got lots more calories in it, basically, than a fucking uh, a banana or some nuts or a fucking carrot or a potato, like, fair enough, that, that will keep you going, but a big bit of meat, a lot more calories in it, and see, this this sort of stuff I find really fucking interesting, because, like, when you think about hunter-gatherers, they, they were picking up nuts and berries and shit, and that's all they would do 24 hours a day, because that's what they needed to eat calorie-wise yeah. to fucking not die, so once they found meat, they could, right, I can have breakfast meat, dinner meat, and that in between time that you've got gives you more time to like do shit, like make tools, develop language, all that sort of stuff that happened fucking hundreds of thousands or millions of years ago. Just eating meat just makes that easier, basically, because you get more time. You're not fucking eating berries all day. Can you imagine you had to eat berries all day to survive? I think you'd be eating berries for eight in the morning till eight at night. You would, but you wouldn't even know it's eight in the morning, eight at night. Um, but I, that's that's it. It's, it's also played a, because of the different nutrients in the iron and things like that that you find in meat compared to to fruit and vegetables and stuff like that. Well, actually, there's a fair bit to do with the development of the early human's brain. Actually, people have actually got smarter uh, and evolved better because they were getting a, a more balanced kind of mixture of vitamins, um, nutrients, and everything that comes with eating glorious, glorious meat. Um, it also, um, like you said, Jack, you'd spend all day hunting, all day gathering stuff. They're able to go out and do different things now, and um, that ends up having a big impact on actually evolution itself. Um, because if you look back at these earliest humans that were kicking about hunting for things, searching for food all day, they had big teeth and big jaws, right? Um, because they were eating this stuff raw and biting into it raw and trying to bite through the 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 uncooked raw flesh, basically. Over the years, when they stopped doing that and started cooking, that those large teeth and those big jaws they had actually weren't any needed any longer. And if you look at early, early skeletons compared to more modern skeletons, skeletons, uh, skeletons, the bone structure in the face and the neck had totally changed over time. And what that did, it left more space in the skull for your brain to actually get bigger. So the impact it had on people was huge. It's like it's just mad because that was like we're talking about two point six million years ago. The the first sort of as much proof as you can get of for people eating meat, and then half a million years later, like such an expanse of time, 
Like, you can't really wrap your head around how long that is, but that still leaves 1.9 million years ago, and like that's that's when you say your 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 head starts to change basically. Yeah, but and gets bigger, and it's got more space in it, and then that's when you point at a tree and go tree, or a line and go scary. And then you can communicate, you can survive better, and that's generally. Like, I'm very simplifying this a lot, but that's why Homo sapiens, us, basically um, became top potatoes because we started cooking meat. Almost like that's one of the reasons, not the I th- not the only reason. Yeah. I think I can simplify it even further, right? right because I know so- some of our audience will like it simplified as as, as simple as possible, right? Because it is impossible to think about 1.9 million years and try and differentiate that. Eating and cooking meat, right, basically turned you from being somebody running around whatever you lived in, trying to chase animals, struggling to get by. It turned you into the Flintstones, basically. <laughs> right, okay. Well, one of the big things as well, like, this is this is probably, we're going to probably jump a bit of time here. Um, like, you, you know what you think about woolly mammoths? You know how they used to exist and people yeah. would, would hunt them? Do you know how many calories were in a whole woolly mammoth? Oh, I would. I don't know the answer. If I had to do a quick guess about a woolly mammoth in terms of calories, I'd say something mental, like three hundred thousand calories or something like that. Yeah, n- not mental enough, mate. Ten times that. Three. M- you could get three million calories out of a a woolly oh, mammoth. So, like, if you lived in a tribe of like say thirty people, if you got a woolly mammoth and cooked it, that would last you well over a month for the whole tribe. So again, figuring out that cooking process, that over and above the hunting process, once you've hunted a big motherfucker and you can cook that meat, that's going to last you a month. And again, that just leads to more time to look after children, fucking teach them, blah blah blah. So, um, yeah. It's really, really fucking interesting. Like, and then fire comes into the whole equation. Obviously, you need a little bit of fire when it comes to cooking. Every every culture in the world basically cooks. Yeah, it's like one, one of the. It's like the one thing that goes across all cultures basically as we cook. Again, we kind of hit on it, Colin. What? Why are we? Why are we cooking? Is it just the digestion? But there's other things involved there as well, like disease and shit. I think. Yeah, so obviously cooking stuff to a certain temperature kills off any dangerous bacteria which is inside it. Yeah. Um, it cooking it, cooking it makes it easier to digest, makes it more palatable, and let's not beat around the bush. It makes it taste nicer as well. Yeah, that's one thing that's not actually any notes is just how much taste there is. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I like ah. Uh, medium rare, rare to medium steak, you know, like, I don't like it like fucking like a big bloody motherfucker in front of me, I, I like a bit of a, a brownness to it, but can you imagine like one day waking up and just eating fucking raw beef, like this woolly mammoth, raw stuff is dripping, and then some cunt flings it on a frying pan, man, and just sticks a wee bit of salt and pepper on that on it, and you're like, oh, Tasty as fuck. Like, yeah, it would just make things so much easier. Yeah, and like, we've been cooking for, again, it's it's really difficult, as far as I know, to find evidence for cooking because the the stuff that you use for cooking is wood and shit like that. And when you burn that, it disappears (laughs) and turns into dust, basically. So, 
there's no there's not lots of evidence for controlled fires in the past. So it's it's pretty difficult to, to figure out the prehistoric nature of fire. But uh, there's a cave in South Africa from at least one million years ago that does have burnt bone fragments in it, which would suggest even a million years ago there was some sort of early form of cooking or cannibalism. They might have been cooking each other. Uh, the oldest remains of dedicated fires only go back as 400,000 years ago. So, again, with the sort of archaeology and stuff like that, people are they're, they're guessing, but they're making an educated guess here that if there's burnt bones, something was getting flamed up. Yeah, and the first evidence that we have of cooking as we now know it um, dates back to only 20,000 years ago, and that is, of course, China. Of course it is, Because, you know, they all fucking eat anything. Um, basically, they found... <laughs> They found pots and cooking utensils that had scorch and earth marks on them that showed they'd been used for cooking. Um, so the, the Chinese were ahead of the game with this. They're the first people that we can track back in history anyway to actually not just roast stuff over a fire, but actually to use some sort of pot, some sort of utensil, and do a bit of actual cooking. Um, so I think we've talked about 1.9 million years ago. We just talked about a million years ago. This one's now going back 20,000 years ago. I think it's safe to say that eating meat is basically what humans have been doing since the start. And it's played an important part over the years in the development of how humans are in terms of how they look, how they act, their brain capacity, how healthy they are, and the pleasure side of it. Enjoying what they're eating for a change rather than eating to live uh, compared to just eating because you enjoy it and having more time to do other things because they're not spending their whole time, as you said, Picking up berries. Well, that's it. That's it. And then, like, again, we're we're, we're sort of jumping about time wise here, but we're not only here to speak about eating meat. We're here to speak about like butchery as being maybe not a profession back in the day, but something that like you would have had a specialist guy in your tribe, perhaps it was Katie Jim. He's a butcher. Katie David Cox. He's a butcher, basically. And back in two thousand and three, um, they were developing this sort of uh, train line, uh, high speed one uh, rail link. And there was a butchery site was found uh, near Kent, which they, they somehow managed to date back until about 400,000 years ago because there was a skeleton of, again, a prehistoric elephant um, about supposedly twice the size of today's African variety. Um, so a big motherfucker elephant, three million calories or whatever, uh, and it had like flint tools um, like lodged in its rib cage, basically. So again, they're looking at that somebody chopping that up, cutting the cutting the meat off the bones, basically, to then cook it. So, um, yeah, again, 400,000 years ago, we're talking about there, when, when butchery actually starts. Not not modern cooking, but, like, butchering an animal to then hold it over fire. So, let's just take a pause for the cause here, right? Right. What do you think elephant tastes like? Uh, I don't know, mate. Like, you you remember the restaurant in Glasgow called Kublai Khan's? Yes. Right, I never went, right, I, I, I bought a, a Groupon one couple of years ago for Winning Cairns anniversary or something, I was like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to going to Kublai Cairns, I can taste about a crocodile, I can taste about a fucking ostrich or whatever, and ended up not going for one reason or another, so I never went to that place, so if, did you go and did you try crocodile, ostrich and stuff like that, because if I was to I take a guess, I'd imagine the elephant would be pretty tough, kind of like... Not like overdone steak, but it's a bit 
chewy and rubbery and it's kind of fucking disgusting. Yeah, elephant that's wasn't what on the menu to. at Kubla Cans. Um I went a couple of times, it was it was novelty uh, more than food because you went up, you had a big big um, thing, you picked your meat, you picked your spices and they cooked it in front of you in this big upturned shield type thing. Um, it was fun, it was nice. Um, everything tasted like chicken. Um, I would say an elephant, if I was going to eat an elephant, I'd probably eat the trunk. I think the trunk's probably your best bang for your... I, the, the trunk would probably be the best tasting bit. I'm not 100% sure about meats, but I thought like the, the less underdeveloped muscle areas were the, the softest, most tender. Like you, you think a trunk would be pretty muscly. It moves about all the time. It's kind of like, you know, it's got uh, its uses. It's more muscle than tenderness. I don't, but I don't know enough about meat, I suppose. Yeah, I'm going to use a term which probably isn't fitting when talking about elephant's trunk. But... I would say, like, I get what you're saying because it just moves so much, it would be quite tough. But I kind of see it as quite flaccid. Right. Like, quite soft. Um, I think you could you could probably slow cook a trunk and it would be all right. But, listen, we can't eat elephants. Elephants are lovely things. You shouldn't be eating elephants anyway. Um, mm. These flint tools that they found, they were sharp. Um, they were the ideal shape, basically, for cutting through flesh, cutting through the hide, skinning the animals and stuff. So it's basically accepted and assumed that this very the site that they found from 400,000 years ago was a very early example of humans engaging in a butchery for animal meat with specific tools. So this is the place, this is where we're going to butcher this animal. Here's all the tools, this is where we do it. It's, it's organised butchery, basically. Well, well, that's it with, like, sort of, when it comes to um, chopping up meat, we, we don't go out and hunt them. Or like farmers don't hunt them. They, what they do is they farm them. I mean, they keep them in the one place. And uh, I think sort of early human societies figured this out. Maybe about like this isn't in the notes. About ten to twelve thousand years ago, like when farming sort of became a thing, not just the animals, but like wheat and shit like that. And that's when like farming became a job, butchery became a job. You didn't have to know everything. You didn't have to be a hunter gatherer, hunt, cook eat, pass it on, like, it was like, right, Colin, you're fittish, you run, you chase that, round it up and keep them all here and then we'll breed them. So that, that farming thing came in and again, once you had a farmer, that probably opened up the doors for specialist butchers, basically. A bit like fishers, fishermen, basically. You got a guy that's dead good at catching fish, he catches the fish, flips it on to the, the cooker and he fucking, he cooks it, basically. I think butchers are the same. You chop that up, you get every calorie out of that scrape the bones, get the liver, all that sort of stuff. So butchery has been, again, a job as old as time almost, I think. Yeah, and you'd argue um, that the person in the tribe or the person in the, the group that you said, listen, mate, you don't have to go running today. You don't have to go chase the the lion up the road. We're going to do that, but when we bring it to you, you do your thing. Their job's probably more important than the ones chasing it because, like you said, he's getting bang for buck. He's splitting this thing up. He's getting every single bit of goodness out of this animal. Whereas in the past, every dafty was running every which way, chasing every animal they saw, but eating as much of it as they could as they can and probably just leaving half a carcass behind on the floor. It's cause the, well, so, it's because hunter-gatherer, like, their, their whole vibe was moving about all the time. So yeah. they couldn't take a fucking three-ton mammoth with them. So they had to settle. They had to go, right, let's kill that or let's farm these 
and then settle round about it. Because you can't you can't kill that and then settle, build places, houses, shit like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and then go and hunt again. You need to hunt, move, hunt, move, because once you've hunted something, they know I need to get the fuck out of here because people hunt yeah. me. So they fuck off. So uh, yeah, that that process and I'm really glad that I got the numbers right here because I see the domestication of animals obviously took many generations, but it started around 15,000 years ago. Again, like selective breeding, you see with dogs, there's, there's thousands of dogs that are brilliant at certain things because they've been bred that way. And then there's evidence around about 10, 11,000 years ago, sheep, goats, pigs, cattle, basically been kept as livestock to, to feed, kill and eat. And again, during this time, butchery would have been a massive part of that that process and that not so much a trade at the time we'll get to trade probably but because you're not trading with other hunter gatherers you've just got your own society but trade does come into it i thought jack you were going to break into song there when you were doing the sheeps the goats and the pigs like from um during the fat pigs and sheep and cows and goats you shoot them in the heat and slit their throats at the slaughterhouse all right, okay. Remember that? Uh, but now that you've sang it vaguely, yeah. But I, I, would, the that, house. I would never have remembered that off the top of my head, mate. But, <laughs> uh, but let's, okay, let's, let's do some facts and stuff like that, mate. On you go, yeah. Yeah, so listen, these facts were from 2009, okay? So uh, this is when the study was done. So you've got to imagine some of these facts and figures are bigger by now. But the average British family spends £12.50 a week on meat and meat preparation. Uh, but £12.60 on alcoholic drinks and tobacco products. So let's just um, assume that in the last 14 years or so, those amounts have gone up. But I guess the ratio probably hasn't, Jack. No, the ratio probably hasn't. No, Let's just go up to £15 per week, which is how much you need to spend to get free delivery. Um, <laughs> so let's pump that up. Yeah, so if the ratio stays the same, people are spending more on alcohol and tobacco. But that's because you can get, you can get a decent decent steak like how much, is the, how much is a good steak from the butchers mate like I said I don't shop at the butchers a hell of a lot but if you're going to the butchers and you're going to get yourself a fucking brilliant steak for your dinner how much are you spending on that um, if I was going to the butchers I was going to somebody like, somewhere like David Cox and I wanted a proper dry aged steak yeah. you'd probably get a, probably get a, a, a decent sirloin, dry aged sirloin for probably £8 or so £8.50 or something like that so yeah, that's so probably about right a bottle of um I was going to say Sandy Hills, but that's not right. Like Blossom Hill or something. That's yeah, probably about the same Hill. price. Fags are double that price. So the ratio might have changed a little bit. I don't think meats went up at the same... Again, I'm just fucking making stuff up here, but I don't think meats went up at the same rate as fags and tobacco the last 10 years. No, it's not got as much V18 stuff attached to it. Um, it's, 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 a, it's an odd thing to me looking at that. Some, somebody that... We've said we've spoken about this before. I'm a bit of a binge drinker in that I can go weeks and months without touching alcohol, Jack, and then we go on a night out and I'm a fucking nutcase and I'm dead for three days after it. But the idea of spending more per week on alcohol and tobacco than food, it melts my brain a little bit because if, I, if you had to give me the choice of a proper dry-aged beautiful steak or a bottle of wine, I'm picking that steak every single time. Yeah, I smoke, so I get it when it comes to tobacco products anyway. what One thing you kind of forget that butchers do, like when I think of butchers, I automatically think pigs and cows. 
I mean, steaks, sausages, bacon, and sheeps and goats. I don't automatically think about chicken, but a lot of butchers do chicken. There's all almost 19 billion chickens on earth. So they outnumber humans almost three to one, and we eat about 100 million tons of poultry each year. Again, when it, when it comes to butchery, mate, again, if I jumped the gun there, would you go to the butchers for your chicken? Um, I, know they, yeah. I know they do chicken, but... Yeah, you, I would do because chicken breast is... The whole ch- chicken breast is a bit of a minefield for, in terms of quality and in terms of where it comes from, in terms of how good it is and all that sort of stuff. And the supermarket stuff is literally pumped full of water and God knows what, it's not great. Whereas if you go to the butchers, you can usually get like a box of chicken breasts or a bucket of chicken breasts, very much a better price in the supermarkets and a far better quality. So even before we became such good pals of David Cox, I would use the butcher for chicken breasts. Yeah. Or that just just filled the freezer, buy them in bulk, 20 chicken breasts or so, and just Mm -hmm. have them in the freezer and use them as you need them. Yeah. Uh, Brunei is a country that's got... uh, They've got Sultan. Yeah, and 40 times as many chickens as people. Um, so they're, <laughs> they're right into their, their chickens over there. Um, New Zealand as well. I knew this one. I knew they had a lot of fucking sheep and a lot of cows, but I never knew it was quite as high as this. Seven and a half sheep per person and two and a half cows, basically, per person in the country. So the best steak that I can ever remember having was in a hotel in uh, Malta, and it was... Um, like it was, it was kind of like an all-inclusive deal, but not quite. It was kind of like a, like there was like seven different restaurants in a hotel. Okay. So like one night you could go to the super special restaurant, three night, like one night you could go to Chinese, one night you could go to the Japanese, one night you could go to the Indian, and the three-hour nights was like the, the buffet type thing. Right. But the super special restaurant night, um, I got a New Zealand um, steak. I don't know, fucking prime ribeye or something. And it was genuinely the best that I've had. It yeah. pops into my mind. So, what do you think about New Zealand steak? Is it as a like? Is it as good as people work out, or do you go to like? I know Japan supposedly have fucking brilliant steak because of what they do to their cows or whatever. Yeah, like it's, I'll be honest. It's not somewhere I really associate with, with steak. It's more. It's definitely a lamb thing. Uh, in New Zealand, you think about the, the lamb that they do and stuff like that. If I was thinking about steak, I'm thinking America, Japan. I'm thinking Argentina and I'm thinking Brazil, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, right, probably okay. the best they give had is Argentinian steak house called Cow on Ingram Street. I think it's an Armani store now, but right. it was a, a, a Argentinian restaurant for a while called Cow, and it was amazing. I remember um, having going to an Argentinian steakhouse, st- steakhouse in Amsterdam, but I was stoned out my box. So I think <laughs> like they could have put down. A fucking, Anything in front of you. A three pound fucking steak for Aldi, man. I would have fucking chowed it down, but <laughs> that was absolutely tremendous. The Argentinian steakhouse. So, yeah, maybe, but yeah, the one that pops to my mind was that one place. And the only reason I got it was because it was the most expensive steak that I could yes. get for oh, free. <laughs> Here's a question for you, right? New Zealand, seven and a half sheep per person, 2.3 cows per person in the country, right? If you're right. in New Zealand and you're a qualified butcher, and you've got a big enough freezer. Do you think seven and a half sheep and two point three cows would mean you'd never have to go to the supermarket again? Like for meat, that you could live off that for the rest of your life. 
the rest of your life show like a full blown cow or two and a yeah. half full blown to two and a half two cows. Full cows, and you've got the skills, the butchery skills, to get every bit of meat off that. Calorie wise, oh, I'm trying fucking. No, I'm, I'm trying to do fucking mental arithmetic in my head. And seven about, and a half sheep. And seven and a half sheep. If you can get every inch of meat off of that, I don't think it would. I don't think it would last the rest of your life. No, if I was to take a punt at that, I'm a big meat eater. So say you're eating steak or lamb four times a week, and then the other times you have like a bit of pasta or something. It might, it might last you. I would take, I guess, a couple of years, mate. I've got any fucking idea, actually. So. I'm, just, I'm Googling the calorie count in a cow just now. Right, well, you do that and I'll read this one. So you've got Uruguay as well. Um, they've got tons of cows, 3.7. And New Zealand is only um, the only place um, that, well, Uruguay is the only place that actually beats New Zealand. There are lots of cows there. You ever had a Uruguayan steak? No. Do you think they export it to Argentina? Because been they next door do. and stuff like that. Yeah. There's probably a lot of um, food fraud when it comes to steak I'd imagine I, I imagine a lot of just reading this here a, a lot of Argentinian steak will be from Uruguay probably you know I mean? yeah it's probably that it's like that McDonald's thing where they only serve um, 100% pure beef in their burgers but right. what that actually means is the company that supplies their beef is a company called 100% Pure Beef. That's the name of the company, right? No, you're jo- that's beef. not a thing, is it? Ah, that's a thing. And like you, so they can say all our beef comes from 100% Pure Beef because that's where it comes from, but it's not actually the beef, that's just the company they get it from. No way. I don't, I almost don't believe you there, but I, <laughs> but, but I do because you're, <laughs> you're more into beef than me. So they buy from a company called 100% Beef, yeah, I think the only company now, but yeah. That's fucking mad. Like that, that. It's like owning a company called 100% Vodka and saying our vodka is only 100% vodka because it comes with the, the company called. <laughs> That's mad. Right, okay. I've done, I've done some maths, right? Right, you've done the maths, mate. I've given you some time, right? Yeah, I've done some maths. So in the average cow, right, mm-hmm. you get 1.1 million calories. Uh, So what that works out as is, let me just just on the calculator as we speak. So that's 1.1 million calories. The average human says they need 2,000 calories a day. I think the average guy is 2,500, but okay. All right, let's do 2,500 then. Yeah. So that would give you, oh no, hold on, I've done that wrong. Two six one point one million. Yeah, that's it. So that's the calories. Divide that by 2,500. Uh-huh. 440 days and that's only if you're getting your calories from meat uh-huh. so that's, that's like no that's, potatoes no veg and all that right yeah so that's one cow I, we've got 2.3 of them so it's a 1,012 days that those cows would give you in New Zealand and that's only if you're eating meat so let's say you only get a third of your calories from meat that would then last three times as long as that so 10 years yeah 3,036 uh, days so 8.3 years right, 8.3 years plus right, never so let's say sheep are the same so I said about 2 or 3 years but you're getting about 3 times that probably uh, yes yeah, right, right okay good question but I enjoyed that um, yeah. saying that the average American eats 88.3 kilograms of meat a year but whereas here in Britain we need 
only half of that, almost 44.9. Does that, America, though, does that surprise you or not surprise you? It doesn't surprise me because of the culture over there for portion sizes, the amount of breakfast meat they have, the amount of jerky that they eat, all sorts of stuff. So it's, I think it's probably about right. <laughs> I skipped a fact here, mate, so we'll go back to number six <laughs> because I missed okay. this. <laughs> right. On February the 18th, 1930, in St. Louis, Elmfar Ollie uh, was the first cow to fly an aeroplane. <laughs> and and Ellsworth, Ellsworth W. Bunce was the first person to milk a flying cow. So up in the plane, he milked the cow. Fucking hell. I've um, got a feeling that this was... Like back in the day, they used to do like sort of mad bets and shit like that. Like, I bet I can fucking bicycle to Japan in 90 days or whatever. And I've got a feeling this might have been a phrase like, or that'll be the day that fucking somebody milks a flying cow. And this guy's went like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to milk a flying cow. And he actually done it. But I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't think in 1930 I'd be mad keen to get in a plane full stop. Never mind a plane with some bastard milking a cow in it. Well, when, see, when you think about like like the first flight in nineteen twelve or so, the Wright brothers, right, and their fucking mm-hmm. big wooden plane sh- like shit machine, yeah. yeah. Got to nineteen sixty three, and they were landing on the fucking moon. So in between that, the planes must have been all right. Well, that's like true. The, the, the the upward curve of flight, they must have been all right. Yeah. But when we spoke before about how they got to the moon, they put they sent monkeys up there and just left them to die, didn't they? To yeah. test rockets and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. there's the famous story about the the monkey with the banana dispenser, isn't there? Yeah, On from Carol Pilkington. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what? It, it, it's one of those ones that it's got some sort of basis <laughs> in truth, but the way he's told it, it's fucking ridiculous. As if like <laughs> the monkey's in total conflate of the total control of the fucking space, um, NASA, but. Uh, Denmark, unsurprisingly, has got tons and tons of pigs, um, almost twice as many pigs as people. Um, Schmeichel used to do the Danish bacon adverts. Danish bacon, Danish bacon. Yep. And um, before we move on to uh, our next section about butchery, uh, the word carnival originally meant a farewell to meat, uh, referring to the Christian tradition of giving up meat during Lent. There we are, carnival. So, yes, well, carnivore is meat eater, isn't it? So there's the car part. Yeah, carnival and must be uh, well, given up. Carnival yeah. means yeah, farewell, cheerio. Huh? If, you, if you've got a valmity, is that a word, valmity, where you're like deformed in some sort of way, you're, like, you don't have something? If you Maybe I've got, maybe I'm getting mixed up with mal. I think I am, but fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> right, when did butchery become a job, mate? Okay, so, like the answer to most questions if you're stuck, just say the Roman times. Right. <laughs> and you're, you're usually onto some quite good ground at that point. And you would be with this one as well. So during the Roman times, there's been evidence found of butchers existing as a specific trade. Um, before the Romans arrived in Britain, the culling of domestic animals was still considered part of the process that individual families or small communities just did themselves. They raised livestock for their own farming use. They had their own draft animals and they controlled their own food supply. However, Jack, as towns and villages began to grow... And, you know, the Romans come in and built straight roads and all that sort of stuff. Yep. You didn't have the space anymore for every family to have their own little plot and their own little field and everything else. 
So it became important that rather than households individually keeping livestock, you actually had to have a regular supplier who looked after meat on a bigger basis, basically for larger populations. And hence the butcher was born that looked after the whole village rather than every man for himself type thing. Well, that's it. We're getting back to about 1,700 years ago now. So into the um, AD years, is that what they call it anymore? Was it after Common Era? It used to be AD and BC. Yeah, before that, was that before Christ and after, after his death? Uh, something like that, after, like, yeah. something, something like that. Who, who, but anyway, we're talking about 700 years ago, so it's like a positive number, basically. Um, so around about 300 or 400, basically, is the first evidence of commercial farms and butchers found in Devon. The site included a pit filled with waste product, which suggested only the prime cuts were sold. So this is when they're starting to farm enough that they can go at right we don't need to eat the cow eyes and the cow brains and shit like that we can just awesome. have we can just have the fucking the the rib the, the prime the cuts the, the prime cuts exactly yeah archaeologists reckon if the animals had been butchered by local peasants every part would have been used so it seems like this might have been for the, the upper class basically so you're billy big boys i don't want to eat fucking mashed up testicles I'd like a, a bit of that rib, please. And that's when the, the sort of profession really seems to have kicked off about 1,700 years ago. Yeah, there was also the main difference as well. You could see from the, the bones and the, the remains that they found was that the animals had been killed at a much younger age by the butchers than a peasant would normally do because a peasant or a poor person, to be a bit nicer about it, would have many uses for the animal before they actually ate it. They'd probably work that animal into the ground, plowing things for them, using it to pull a cart, to sit on it and ride it, whatever you would do in those days for necessity. And when the animal was too tired to do that sort of stuff anymore, then they would kill it. You'd you'd actually be eating a much older animal. Whereas the butchers were getting so much livestock, they were breeding them for food, killing them as soon as they got to the optimum age and providing the food. And that was the key difference between what you would find a butcher doing who was there to give you the best meat in the best way possible, and a peasant that was just trying to exist, basically. Yeah, you, you basically mentioned roads there, like as a sort of passy comment, but roads made a massive difference for transporting shit about the place, you know what I mean? Like, if you had to get from Glasgow to Edinburgh and there wasn't a fucking road, it'd be a pain in the arse. But if there's a road, you know what I mean? You, can ju- yeah. you just jump on it 40 minutes in the motorway, and that's your own, and you can get your cow for A to B and sell it to the next town over, and again, that's probably when, like, trade sort of starts, and that's like the Middle Ages, gets to there and then this is when it becomes an official trade, basically. And there's like unions and professions and stuff like that. And one of the first like professional guilds uh, back in Britain was in 1272 and it was the butchers, um, basically. Um, it does go a little bit further back in that column, but to 975 sort of this. It does. And it actually hurt my head reading that because it's so unusual to think about a year that's triple digits so um, digits, yeah. but yeah there was records uh, records of butchers forming organizations as far back as 975 uh, it became increasingly important during this time period to maintain high levels of cleanliness for health reasons and to prevent outbreaks of disease as well of course perfecting the craft of both producing the finest cuts of meat and also maximizing the amount of meat that could be processed so it became super important in this time to have our actual professional something that knew that we're doing preparing this in a safe environment and getting the most out of it. And that's when they began to take this seriously. It was a proper profession. 
the guilds would later come, uh, the union type stuff, it all dates back to 975. And again, like you would have to be pretty minted back then to get the, the prime cuts because you had to pay a profession to cut it up. Peasants, peasants were peasants back in the day, and I mean, to hear like dog shit. Um, it got to the stage where it was like illegal to hunt um, on land belonging to rich people. Like, so you couldn't, you weren't allowed to hunt a cow or hunt a a sheep or whatever, so there was a lot of poaching going on, obviously, because the peasants were kind of like, I, I want a bit of that, like, I, I've seen them eat it, I've seen the butcher cut it up, and I, I'm pretty sure I could do the do the same, so yeah, there was a lot of poaching going on back then they would try and steal animals as well, so that they could breed them, but if you get caught with them, you're going to get fucked up, you're going to get chopped, hung set in fire, all that sort of nasty shit that they'd done back then um, again like you get like fake news nowadays, you get people selling fake trainers. Back then, you get people selling fake meat or shit meat, basically. Like selling like selling a bit of fucking tripe as a prime cut. Uh, and again, if you get caught doing that, they would um, punish you quite severely. You get, you, yeah, you get hung, drawn, and quartered, basically. Aye, basically, yeah. And then probably your insides would get uh, stolen and mushed up into some sort of patty. That your peasant pals could eat. So, yeah, it's a middle age. We get to Victoria, the Victorian era, mate. So, what's happening uh, yeah, for the Victorian I, butchers? I, I, I just need to say that I love the the way you prepared this because see if you'd said to me, right, Victorian but Victorian age, middle age, and Roman age, put them in the order column. I don't think I could have, right? But um, <laughs> dear me, eating yeah. meat became super popular across all sections of society during the Victorian era. Um, increased urbanisation when people as a whole became more dependent on butchers and butcher shops and the cost of meat became far lower than it had been in previous generations. Um, a lot of the cuts and the roasting joints that are still used today actually began to appear back then uh, and they were products that could be sold for all budgets, bigger or smaller cuts, different parts of the animal, etc. Um, and it's, it's a really kind of good point, Jack, that a good cook can make a poorer part of the animal better than an okay cook can with a great part of the animal. A, a, a big thing with that would have been like salt coming into things because you could uh, put a bit of salt and stuff to make it taste better so you could get the fat and the bones and shit like that and it still happens nowadays basically where you get like a, a ham hock soup where yep. like your granny might have put like a whole bit of fucking ham, bone, marrow, everything into a soup, added a little bit of salt and flavour to it and you would get a fucking lovely soup. It would taste good. It would give you your calories. It would give you that energy and stuff like that that you needed. Again, like lack of fridges kind of was a bit of a pain in the ass back in the day. So you had to go to the butchers quite a lot um, to get the the best meat or the, the meat that's just about to go off. It's just only turn that can maybe stick in a soup and stuff like that. But um, not having a fridge must have been a. Imagine not having a fridge, Colin. It would be great because I, I I do enjoy going to the fridge. Um, it would be it's, it was very much though. Look, this is a, 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 of its time and not how it should be. But the woman wouldn't have been working; she'd have been at home and she would have made daily trips to the butcher, to the baker, to the grocery store, and she would have bought her stuff for the day's meals. Went home, prepared it, and the lack of fridge wouldn't have been that big a deal because that's just how it was. Um, but yeah, the idea of going and doing a month shopping in one go and then never having to go to the shop for another month. That They would have loved the idea of that, but it just wasn't a reality. 
Yeah, so again, we're getting into the sort of modern stages of butchery now, and modern butchery has went through multiple changes in a short space of time, basically, because of the First and Second World War, changing how butchers had to operate because of rationing, basically, and changes in demand. Uh, in particular, the the change in demand increased the output of pies and sausages that butchers produced, as you could put pastry round a bit of meat, it would keep it for a bit longer. It would reduce the amount of meat that you needed to use. So again, that that's when sort of fucking pies, sausage rolls, all that stuff sort of came to prominence with the butcher rather than just going and getting a big bit of meat. You would get it wrapped in a bit of pastry. Yeah, and like I, I, I mentioned before about the difference in chicken at the butchers and stuff like that. If you want to, if you want to sell the idea of going to a butcher's to somebody cook them a butcher sausage and compare it to like it's a normal supermarket sausage it's it's like a different product um the burgers that you get made out fresh from a, from a butcher shop as well are better than anything you can get at a supermarket like it's for some reason i don't know why it is but their sausages and their burgers are just and I, i'm not just talking about david i'm talking about all the butchers they're just it's like a different product completely compared to the shit you get in supermarkets well, that's the thing, but the, the rise of the supermarket has basically, kind of unfortunately for your taste buds and stuff like that, led to a bit of a decline in your local butchers. You know, imagine like 40, 50 years ago, you knew your butcher by the first name you get. There is a sort of, in my mind anyway, you go into the butchers and you get a bit of chat, you get a bit of fucking bants, basically, you know, like, oh, fucking Jimmy Butcher, David Butcher's doing there, I'll go down, you stand for a couple of minutes, you have a bit of chat about meat have a bit of a joke about the weather and then go up the road. It was like an experience rather than just this this blandness of going to the supermarket and buying um, sausages that you fry that then turn into the like a paper-thin bit of fucking processed pish, man. <laughs> like, well, yeah, that's... I mean, that's, that, that is true. Like, obviously, the supermarket has led to the downfall of the vast majority of these shops, like butchers, bakers... Everywhere, the candlestick maker, basically, the Vulcan yeah. reduced. What it does mean, though, is that if there's a butcher shop still going somewhere, they must be pretty good because they wouldn't be there if they weren't. Uh, only the best survived, really. So um, people should still be using them because it's not that much more expensive, if any, when you actually do like their deals or their packs and stuff like that. And the difference is unbelievable in terms of quality and what you're getting. Well, that is it, that is it, yeah. Like 50, 52 years, I think David Cox Butcher. Most of the butchers that are still in the go now will have are family butchers mm. that have gone through generations that have been about for a long time because of the things we've mentioned, the quality of their meats, their their pies, their banter, their all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the the ones that are still out there are I don't I get all um not political, but like supporting local trade still hang, you know what I mean? Like Go your butchers, like buy it for them. Spend, spend the extra couple of quid and get something nicer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're, and this isn't just about our butcher or anything like that. But yeah, shopping locally and you're putting your money into the hands of our individual rather than a, a gormless, faceless corporation. Basically, hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. I think I, th- I think that's almost us, mate. Um, I think you've got. We're going to do this every sort of week or so as use some sort of fucking terrible meat or baker or no baker butcher pun um, about mistakes or the steaks are too high or some sort of shit. <laughs> Let's be honest, 
And I think we're going to trial it this week with something that you've come up with, Colin. So what terrible meaty pun have we come up with to do this section today? Right, so this is all about the stakes are being high or right. lower, right? I've got right, five okay. of the most expensive meats here. We'll tell you about them and I want you to try and tell me um, how much you think they are. Right, okay. okay. So the first one is called Fugu. Okay, now you'll know this one, Jack. It's the fish that Homer Simpson tried to eat in The Simpsons, the puffer fish. All right, uh, okay. The blowfish. Um, basically, it's cut into sashimi slices and 20 to 40 people die every year from eating it um, because it's got high concentrations of neurotoxins in it. Basically, chefs have to take great care during preparing it to avoid serving poisonous parts of it or contaminating the edible parts. But if you eat the paper-thin delicacy and you let it's not one of the bad bits, you get this beautiful, beautiful piece of fish, basically, and it goes for a fortune, right? Uh, I'm, ask, I'm asking you for a price per pound. A price per pound? <laughs> yeah. Fuck knows, like... While I try and um, figure that out in my head, I think the used to be a case in Japan, if you're one of those puffer fisher cutters, basically a fish butcher, um, if you fucked up, you would you would get murdered yourself. Yeah, because it was such Literally. a valuable thing. Well, I'll, I'll, to give you somewhere to start with, right? Aye, because I, your, your I, average... I, I don't know what how much is like a fucking pound of cod? <laughs> so, well, a, a pound of sausages, right? Okay. But probably about eight pound or so, right? So a pound, of, like you're, you're just a bog standard lawn sausage, square sausage at the butcher's. I don't know, no, a proper good link sausage. A good link and, sausage. Yeah. So it's been stuck in a bit of skin, chopped up, a pound of them. How many sausages is that, roughly? Oh, I don't know, mate. Right, a pound of sausages, so 16 sausages, let's say. And it's eight pounds, so 50p a sausage. Uh, this fish thing is two, two times that, so... 20 quid a pound. Okay, it's 135 per pound. 135? <laughs> fucking hell. Right, okay, I've I've misjudged. Okay. I presume that's because they need to pay the fucking chef so much because he needs to be so specialist. That, that will come into it as well, well yeah. Okay. Uh, next one, we're sticking in that sort of territory. It's the Otoro Sushi, right? right okay. um, so this is Japanese. They obviously love sushi. And uh, they're prepared to risk their lives trying to get it. Um, so this is a very expensive bit of tuna. Okay, um, it's got a steak-like consistency and a very bold flavour. A little bit fattier than your normal sort of tuna. It uh, has a rich flavour to it. And I'm looking for you to give me the price per piece. And by piece, what I'm saying is, like, if you imagine a chicken nugget, right? This yeah, one bit I, of sushi. Yeah, I've had a bit of sushi in the past, and it is. Again, going back to that um, hotel that I stayed in Malta where I went to the, the Japanese place that one night, it's the only thing that I've ever spat out in a restaurant. Oh, really? Yeah, I had to spit it into my my napkin, basically. I don't know what it was about it. like Because I like I don't mind like, mussels and seafood and prawns and stuff like that, but I just mm-hmm. took a bite of it. It was the, quite, is it quite a famous one. It's like wrapped in black seaweed almost. I don't, it's got it's rice in cu- it. It's usually rice and cucumber that's in there. <clears throat> oh, fuck, it's disgusting anyway. Yeah. So how much, like, for a bite of that? Yes. Um, 20 quid. Pretty close, 24. 20, 20 quid for a bite of fucking... And that, the only reason I think I know that is because it was in... Was it in Cubby Enthusiasm? 
was in one of these American shows basically where they're going to the, the most expensive sushi restaurant in fucking LA or something. And ah, they're, okay. they're talking like fucking a grand for like 50 pieces of sushi or something. Yeah. Uh, okay, Yamon Iberico, right? So basically Spanish ham uh, coming from the black Iberian pig, okay? Um, these pigs are out to free, free roam. Um, they then switch to a diet of grains and acorns. And if they get enough grain, the pig will take on a rich ham flavour, sort of akin to prosciutto. Uh, if they have more acorns, then the meat will get a bit of a nutty flavour to it and go best with cheese. Um, so this is basically, you buy a pound of this, Jack, and how much do you think a pound of the y- uh, Yamon Iberico would be? Yeah, before I get to that, do you watch Two Doors Down? Yes, I do. See the very first episode of that? Yes. Where the neighbours come back, Jonathan watching and... Kathy. Um, Not Kathy. Uh, yeah, Kathy. That's Kathy. Uh, Dune McKinnon or something, their name is. Yeah. Anyway, the, the annoying neighbours, they bring back a big, massive ham on. Yeah. Same sort of thing. So, same sort of thing. So, what am I looking for? The price? Price per, price per pound again. Right, how much was the fish? The fish was... 120 135 for the fish. Right, and ham on. I'd imagine, I can't imagine that's harder to like farm and shit like that. There's more put into it, so I would say more than that. So, £300 a pound. Okay, it is more, but it's not that, that much more. It's like 140 So, basically, basically the same price as yeah. the fish. Right, okay, I would have thought that would have been, I would have thought there was more into raising a pig, feeding it, blah, 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 than just like catching a fish out and cutting up a bit but obviously not obviously not okay two more to go then we're done this one this one Kobe Wagyu okay this is the one I've heard of this is Japanese one sort of yeah so Japanese cow uh, renowned for its really deep marbling uh, so it's got more fat through it and it makes it just taste amazing Um, it's basically if it's got the word Kobe in it then it means it's came from directly from Brazil usually strip fillet or prime rib um, it's raised the highest possible standards. They usually just eat grass and drink beer, and they get massaged. Um, so, how much per pound for some Kobe Wagyu? See, we're, we're speaking about Japan there. Then you said Kobe comes from Brazil, and then there's does it come from America as well? The crossbreed it there. They crossbreed it with Angus cows in America. Yeah, you get Angus Wagyu, but if it says it needs to actually say. Um, Wagyu uh, or high-end Kobe in it and that, that's when you know you're getting the actual Japanese stuff that's been imported Right, okay, I used to listen to a podcast called uh, uh, Pete Two countries that were on the fucking football ramble Look, looking Pete show and right. the guy Pete who does one of the wrestling shows, Wrestle uh-huh. Right, you know the guy I'm talking about? Yeah. Of Japan and he speaks about Kobe beef uh, or Wagyu beef and the fact that a listener sent him a bit of it in the post one day. <laughs> right. And I think he said that's like £200 worth of meat that the guy sent me. So I don't know how much yeah. he sent him, but I would say uh, 200 quid. It's 300 Right, okay. For 300 for a pound. Uh, I've had Wagyu beef proper, Wagyu beef once. Uh, I was in the grill in the corner, and it was one of their specials that day. It was a Kobe steak, and it was £85, I think, for the steak. And I was on a business thing with work and the vendor was paying for everything mm. and I did the classic like I was sat beside the boy he was for, for an insurance company he used to always take us out I was like to him 
God the hell, they've got that Kobe beef in here. Mm-hmm. Let's, see what Let's get it, order it. I was like, you're a fucking dancer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was amazing, do you know what I mean? It was the best, probably the best steak I've ever tried, but 85 quid for a steak's beyond my usual, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right, last one. Uh, I am Simani, okay? Right. Uh, the I am Simani Jack's a type of chicken, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's known as the Ferrari of fowls, okay? <laughs> It's black in colour um, due to its hyperpigmentation and its meat, its organs and its bones are all black as well. Um, it comes from Indonesia originally and it's very coveted for also having healing qualities as well as tasting very good. It's only bred by one person in America. Right. Okay. And um, I want you to tell me how much per bird like a like a chick, like yeah. If you're if you're buying one of the birds off him, and to get, I'll give you a bit of an idea, right? Right. And on average, you can buy a dozen chicks, normal ones for eighty five dollars. Mm. Right. So you can buy a dozen chicks for eighty five. How much is that? That's like that. Eighty five dollars, about seventy quid. So about sixty quid. So a, a fiver, a chicken. Pretty normally. much, yeah, for a baby. Yeah. Right. And this is a super special one. It's only bred one place in America. Um, twenty times that. What's that? So a hundred. No, twenty. I twenty times that. So a hundred a chick. Okay, it's two thousand five hundred dollars a chicken. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> two two and a half grand for a fucking chick. How much can you yeah. sell the meat for? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, I, I, more than more than the two thousand five hundred. It must be. But yeah, and I am Simanis, a black right. chicken. This is totally off piece, man. But talking about hyperpigmentation, you know the the animals panthers. Yes. What are they? Big black like cats. cats. Yeah. yeah, they don't exist. Oh. Panthers are either jaguars or an other type of cat. With hyperpigmentation, is that right? So yes. it's like a, a, a jaguar, like a black jaguar, right? Okay, or like a, a sphinx or something like that, or a lynx. Yeah, well, it's, it, I can't remember that one. It may be a leopard. Let's just call it a leopard. But the, if you ever, that's a panther. It, it's not. It's either a jaguar or a leopard or with, ha, with right. the opposite of al, albinism. Al, albinism, basically. That's that's mental. It makes well, everything black, so panthers don't exist. They are. I only found out the other day. There we go. There we are. Well, I think that'll do us from a, a butchery point of view. I thoroughly enjoyed that, Jack. Um, last word, I suppose, over to our good friend. Unless we won't milk this every week like this. Obviously, this is a special because it's our first real show since the agreement. But uh, if you've if this has got your appetite going, if this has got you hungry then get yourself over to David Cox, the butchers. All the details have been in the show notes, as always. Um, you know, there's, they've been going for 50-odd years, but in the last two years, it's kind of kicked on a little bit. They went from having one store to having two stores. They've got that dry-age cabinet, and they've now got their home delivery and online shop service. So check them out. WTM free Dell is your code for free delivery and uh, fill your boots. And not only will we get some fabulous meat through the house to yourself free of charge delivery-wise, You'll be helping their pod, which means you're helping me and you're helping Jack. And what more could you do to be happy? That's it. We actually got somebody got in contact recently and said that uh, the Kings Park store is actually the the local butchers. 
Um, so even if you're in there, just mention us. You know what I mean? Um, uh, that see, was, Jack, that was, see Jack and Colin sent you. Jack and Colin sent you. You probably won't get a discount, but <laughs> at least they know that something's working. But yeah, we sort of indulged it and sort of ripped the arse out of it a little bit this week. And um, we'll be back next week with, I don't know, something new. We'll wait and see. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye. <laughs>